Yeah, it is. And I think um, I think for me as well, the challenge was that I'd grown up in the charity. So I'd been there a long time and people knew me as PA and people knew me as Paula, HR. And, you know, I always say, you know, I went home one day as the director of HR and I came in the next day and I was the CEO and everybody sort of looked at me differently. Welcome to the She Leads Business Show for female owners and leaders of small and medium-sized businesses. You are in the right place if you want a more aligned success, to make a greater impact and to have happy, engaged, high-performing and inflow teams that you trust to get the job done. Allowing you to ditch the stress and firefighting, to focus on your most fulfilling high-value work and to have the financial and time freedom to live the life you truly desire and deserve. I'm your host, Una Doyle, founder of creativeflow.tv, and I'm a speaker, business strategist, and impact coach. Business owners and leaders hire me to help them to achieve impact-driven growth. Yet not every business owner is in the position to hire me, so I created this podcast, and in every episode, myself and my guests share the stories, strategies, and actionable wisdom to help you to achieve this too. Now, on with the show. Hello, 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 and welcome. I am so excited to welcome Paula Chadwick from, oh gosh, the Royal Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation. I remember Roy very fondly. It's wonderful to have you here, Paula. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Me too. I, I think we've got some great meaty topics to get into today. But before that, tell people about yourself. So where did you come from? Okay, so um, as you said, my name is Paula Chadwick and I have the honour and privilege of heading up the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation charity um, born bred still live in Liverpool don't know whether you can tell that from my accent but here I am um, yes and I've worked for the charity uh, for over 25 years now and um, long time for a job that I thought I'd just be there four years but I've grew up there it's very very close to my heart and I'm very very passionate about what we're doing wonderful and what was life like for you growing up in Liverpool like were you part of a big family small family so at the time it was quite unique that my mum actually wasn't a stay-at-home mum she had her own business and went to work which for me because I grew up in it it didn't seem unusual but it's only as I've got older I thought wow mum what pioneering you going out always always encouraged us never thought we couldn't do anything so whatever you wanted to do you could do it didn't matter who you were what you were always supported us well I, I think that's incredibly powerful incredibly powerful especially as somebody who had to learn how to adopt those mindsets as an adult because I didn't have them when I was younger even as a young adult and um, yeah it makes a massive massive difference indeed wonderful so when you first started at the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation you started in the role of a PA I did I um I applied for a job that was in the Liverpool Echo to be the PA to Professor Donnelly who's the founder um, of the charity. At that time, he was working also as a thoracic surgeon out of uh, Broad Green Hospital. So I applied for it, um, really not knowing what, what it was gonna be like or anything, but you know, my role was in um, PA secretarial. I did have a background in personnel. Um, so yeah, so I applied for the job. Um, delighted to get it wasn't really sure what it was going to be like and um, the charity at the time when I, I was taking on was just starting to grow so it was just starting to kick off and we were just starting to build the research center raise funds for that that's in the city center of Liverpool so we would just broken ground on that and we're building that and um, I came in and was helping Ray because he was still working as a surgeon as well as running the charity so I was sort of like the you know helping in between the two and setting up all um, HR processes and policies and contracts because they really didn't have any. So that's how I started. Yes. So what was the I mean, you went through a few roles to get to your current position. What was each stage of that like in terms of were you pushing forward for those? Um, did you feel you know, quite confident about going for each of those roles. What, what was that like? 
So they were slightly different in different scenarios, to be honest. So um, I was doing the HR role and I was doing all the procedures and the policies and we were working up and we did have like um, a senior management team. Um, and I did actually um, knock on Professor Donnelly's door and say, you know, I would like to be part of that. What do I need to do? To become a member of the senior management team and um, you know i am doing all the hr i love it i love being busy and um, but i do think that i would like to to progress and i want to stay here i'm passionate about what we do and i want to stay here to do that and i can see there is a role there so i've got to be honest that's that was not normal for me i wouldn't normally knock on anybody's door and say hey look at me but i just i did feel that i had something to contribute and i thought if i don't ask I will never know and if they bring somebody in because i knew there was a role there that was going to be needed for looking after hr and that on the senior team and um, then i would be really kicking myself that i hadn't stuck my head up and said you know hey i would like to do that so i did ask and um it was you know an open door he was like oh yes of course of course oh yes why didn't we think of this so it was really quite you know very encouraging so i did join the senior management team um, and I worked with them very closely on all HR matters and things like that and strategy and stuff as we move forward. And um, I loved it and I was doing that for quite a long time. Um, we had various CEOs that I worked in. Ray sort of didn't become the CEO. He sort of became the chair and the trustee type of thing role. So we got somebody in as the charity grew who was experienced as being a CEO and can run the charity as, a, as it needs to be run as a business. Um, and so I worked, I helped them, I was their assistants as well. So I worked under a couple of CEOs. Um, and then the last CEO we had left and one of our trustees, a male trustee, um, said to me, you know, we would like you to hold the ship for us while we decide what we're going to do. Um, it was a quite an unsettling time for the charity. It was quite fragmented and there was, um, within the senior management team, there was not a lot of trust. Um, through bad leadership um, so they said you know we'd like you you've been here a long time we'd like you to just steady the ship try and bring people together settle things before we decide what we do so I said yep yeah, okay happy to do that so I was doing my HR role and just overseeing things and I did that for about 12 months and then they asked they said we'd like to you why don't you apply for the role we don't think we need to go external um, you know, you've had the longest probationary period and interview process there is. We would really like you, if you're interested, to go for it. You will have our full backing. So I was a bit, I'll be honest, I was a little bit taken aback by that. And I was a bit scared because um, it was just a role that I never really thought of. Even though I'd been a senior management, it, I'd always been a supportive role. So I'd always been there, but in the background, supporting people and making sure things were done. Um, and then to suddenly become, you know, the forefront, it was quite daunting, really. And I did have, like, I'm sure most people do, well, I can't do that. I mean, how do I know that? I don't know everything. I don't know, like, I, you know, I'm a financier. I'm HR. I'm very, you know, I, I understand HR. I don't know finance. I don't know the medical side. I don't understand that. So it was quite scary. Um, but I'll never forget the trustee who mentored me and pushed me for it. He just said, Paula, you need to take a step forward, a leap of faith. We have your, you have our support. We know you can do it, but if you keep one foot in each camp, you will never succeed. So you need to let go of the HR and you need to push forward with the CEO. You can do it. And so I came home and I thought, yeah, because if they bring somebody in and I haven't gone for it again, I will be feel that will be my opportunity. So I went for it, did the interview. And yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> and here you are. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> well, I love the fact that you went and put yourself forward for that HR director role in the first place. Mm. And that is something that I would really encourage, you know, you as listeners to do. Because now you've got to have something to back it up. You know, you had already been doing a lot of the work. And I think... You know, there's certainly the recruitment statistics show that um, if a man looks at a job and he can do, say, 60 percent of it, he'll go for it. 
if a woman looks at a job and goes, oh, I, you know, I already do 60% of it, they generally won't go for it. No. And so it's really about capability, not history. So you want to have some evidence that you can bring with you. And you had that, obviously, you had that credibility. You had those relationships there already that they're like, oh, my gosh, yes. Why didn't we think of you? So so I think that's great. And, you know, kudos to that mentor who pushed you forward into that role. Um, it is very hard to have your foot in two camps because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, can't, you, you end up in a position where you can't do either role properly, don't you? Yes. And actually, just talk to me a bit about... You know, there's actually different hats. It's not just it's not just the tasks and activities of CEO and HR director. It's actually a different level of thinking, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think um, I think for me as well, the challenge was that I'd grown up in the charity. So I've been there a long time. And people knew me as PA and people knew me as Paula, HR. And, you know, I always say, you know, I went home one day as the director of HR and I came in the next day and I was the CEO and everybody sort of looked at me differently, even though I was the same person. And I was like, you know, it's still me. But they people perceive because you're the CEO and the leader that, you know, you are different. And I was quite keen to bring my own personality along. So I was still me, even though I had this role. And I knew that what I could do was I could bring us together on the journey. So I could bring together the senior management team. I could then, we could bring together our staff. So we would become, and which I hope that people do agree with me, a big family in that we all understand our roles to play and we all understand where we're going and what the end game is and just take people out of working in these silos where they were just really concentrating on their little area and just not time to step up and look at the bigger picture. Look what it, impact it has on you, but look also what that impact can have on your colleagues. So I was very much about opening that up and I knew I could do that. And um, we do, we have a really good senior management team. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, we don't all agree on everything. But it's an atmosphere where people can say what they need to say um, and we can have that discussion, but then agree at the end of it. Um, I think sometimes it does come down to me and it has to be my decision. But as long as I'm comfortable with it and explain it, then we do that. I think as well, one of the things we had to learn was to trust each other. Um, and that might sound quite cliche, but it's it's difficult if you have a team that actually is not working in harmony together um, because you can't move forward. So I did a lot of work with um, building those trusts. So, you know, having a bit of meetings where we could discuss and recognize each other's talents and skills and, you know, as the expert in that field also introducing some so, so, uh, social activity so we would go out outside the office um you know for a, a maybe on way day to discuss strategy and then after that we would have something to eat and a glass of wine and it just allowed us to know each other in that environment away from the office as well so i was quite keen that people knew who we, who we were and it's worked really well i've got to be honest we've got a really really good senior management team have you ever heard of the Pareto principle or as it's sometimes known the 80-20 rule this rule states that you typically get 80% of your results from 20% of your effort which if you think about it means that 80% of your efforts are typically only getting you 20% of your results frustrating right especially if you're not sure which falls into the 80% and which falls into the 20%. Now, I see this time and time again with business owners who spend a lot of time and energy doing things that don't really move their business forward, but they keep them very busy and feeling like they're being productive. That's why I created a free training video for you called the five step proven profit formula for doubling your profits. And in this video, you'll learn the only five steps that you need to focus on in your business. Now, 
you might already, in fact you probably, are doing activity in, in one or two of these five areas. And when you watch this video, if you think about it, that's probably where your best results are coming from. Now imagine what would happen if you were to focus some efforts on the other areas too and ditch the things that aren't actually making a difference in your business. Now these five steps are what enable me to be able to unlock an additional 50k or more in hidden revenues in only 50 minutes without any extra spend on marketing or ads. To watch the video, simply go to creativeflow.tv forward slash five steps. That's five, the number, steps. <laughs> so let me give you that again. It's creativeflow.tv forward slash five steps with the number five. Let me know what you think of the video. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think what you're saying about trust is so critical and I think people often mistake the fact that if people get on and they're not fighting that then you have a cohesive leadership team but it takes a lot more than that mm -hmm. you've you've got to have um you know what we call vulnerability based trust where you're able to disagree where you're able to go I've made a mistake or I need help with this. And without that kind of trust, any initiatives that the organization does, you actually end up as if you're in a rowing boat and you've got, say, four people all trying to row in different directions. Mm -hmm. You just go around in circles. Exactly, exactly. And I think as well, it's that level of respect as well that people they respect each other as well so you know they respect the finance director is going to come and he might sometimes be mr grumpy or mr serious with our marketing um director to say well but he's the guy who asks those difficult questions that just makes you think okay let's think about that what you know you've got a point you know playing devil's advocate so it's been able to have those discussions and as you said not feel like it's a personal attack on any of your work or what you're doing it's not we're just all wanting the best for the charity and the best way forward and you're right it isn't easy um, but it has to be done to be a really dynamic team how long do you think it took you to get the team from where it was where there was the different silos and there was that distrust dynamic going on to where you feel the team was more cohesive and all got work and actually really working together yeah i think it took um a good 12 months you could see little bits moving forward but there was still sometimes a little bit of hesitation um i think as well um you need to be very honest and get the right dynamics around the table as well because if you have somebody who's not on board with where you're going and is determined to try and put a spanner in or just off their own agenda, that's not going to work either. So you do have to ensure that who you've got, the team around you, they're all on board. We're all going the same way and the dynamics fit as well. So it did take, you know, a good 12 months um, to be fully comfortable, shall I say. Um, you know, we weren't all fighting or anything like that, but to really feel that it was you know, I, I remember the first meeting we come out of and it had been a really challenging meeting because we were clearly making decisions on where our income um, would be spent on what area, you know, whether it be research, whether it be patient care, what would it be? And really they're emotive things to talk about and each body fighting their own corner. But it was a really, really good. And we came out, we were all in agreement. Everybody fought the corner. Everybody had their say. But at the end, we all understood where we were going. And that, I think, was a big turning point because I just felt that's been a really great meeting. There was nobody feeling a personal attack. Everybody understood what everybody was saying and contributing. Um, yeah, and I, I thought, that's it. We've turned the corner and we're on our way. Fantastic. And... Intel have a saying called disagree and commit. Mm. And if people don't get the opportunity to speak up and share what they think and actually be listened to, and as you say, to, to have that unguarded debate yes. where people can be open and honest, not take things personally and get everything out on the table. How can you make the best decisions mm. if you don't have all the information, or all the information that's available 
and those different perspectives. And so that's something we've talked about as well in terms of, you know, diversity of of personalities and strengths and the way that different people think. So how you think is going to be different than other people on the team. And that's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> to have those kind of. Yeah, but hang on a minute. <laughs> Yeah, it is. You need it. You need the different characters and different personalities to it. And I think, though, I think, you know, it has to come from the top as well. So I think for me, you have to show your own vulnerability. I have to say, hey, look, I am the CEO, but I don't know everything. I know that might surprise some people, but I don't know everything. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, and I would say to my team, okay, I don't know the finance. I, I can read a spreadsheet and I can understand, but you tell me, you're my FD, you tell me what it is I should be looking at or what I should be worried about. Is there anything I should be worried about? The same with marketing, I'm not a marketeer. So I trust and say, what's your opinion? What is it? Okay, that's a good idea. I might say, I'm not really sure that that gels with what we're looking for and give my opinion, but I think, you have to show your own vulnerability and not be thinking that you are just, you know it all because you don't, because then people can't respect and support you, you know, because you can't do everything. You just can't. Um, and as we've discussed, you need to play to your own skills and trust the team around you that they will play to yours. And that's what makes you look good. Exactly. I remember somebody saying to me that the best way to look smart was to surround yourself with smart people. Exactly. <laughs> you know I, I just last night on a coaching call I was saying to a group of clients no person is an island you know we were working on mindset stuff around asking for help and for so many it's so challenging for so many mm. it, it used to be for me I used to be very reluctant to ask for help and interestingly understanding more about flow and the personality profiling did really help with that. Mm -hmm. And there also, I think, is a lot of mindset around that in terms of asking for help doesn't mean that you're not good enough. Asking for help doesn't mean that you're stupid. Asking for help, you know, if somebody says no, then maybe they say no because they just genuinely aren't in a position to help. Mm -hmm. Maybe they say no because they're showing their true colors you know mm. and actually you know I, you like to help people don't you Paula oh I love yeah I love helping yeah. people that's one of my things yeah everybody I talk yeah. to they love helping people I love helping people we all love helping people but if we don't ask for help we're not giving other people the opportunity to do what they love mm. and to mm. help us I think as well, following our session that we had together, you know, when we talked about flow and we talked mm. about all that and, um, you know, it just made me think, and I still am thinking about it as, you know, continue. And I thought, you, you know, you were right, really. It's so much easier and you just feel so better in yourself when you do what you really love doing and what you're good at and not, as we talked about, forcing yourself into doing these things that you really don't like to don't get me wrong I know we've all got to do things we don't want to do but when you've got expertise there that can do it so much better so easier and they love to do it then that's great you know ask and and ask them and people love to do that and they feel respected because that you're acknowledging where their expertise is and where they help absolutely question for you (laughs) what do you feel guilty about as a leader oh what do I feel guilty about um I feel guilty sometimes when I have to make a decision um, and I know it's going to upset somebody or I have to make a decision for the biggest cause. And sometimes I just can't tell staff the detail of why that is. Um, so, yeah, I don't like upsetting people if I don't have to and I try not to. Um, but I, because I am a people pleaser, so I try to please everybody and I have discovered that you just can't do that. And sometimes you just have to make the big decision um, to do that. I also feel guilty that our staff are so committed. They work so hard um, whatever we ask of them, they do. And sometimes, you know, we just can't give them um, the pay that they, I think they could go, if they went into a corporate sector, they could easily um 
achieve. So I do look at other ways that we can, um, you know, reward them or tell them how much we, they're appreciated. But I do, I do sometimes feel guilty when, you know, I think, yes, you do deserve so much more, but I just haven't got that money to give to you. You know, we have to spend our money on the cause. Um, well, I guess that's why they're there. Yes, yes. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think I've come to learn over the years, you have people who are really bought into the cause or whatever charity it is, and they're there for that. Don't get me wrong, they're there to earn money as well, but they're there for that and they see their what their efforts mean to um, our patients and the people we reach and, you know, they become friends um, rather than working for a corporate where possibly they will get more money well more than likely but they will have to give their pound of flesh for that money as well whereas we do have i work very hard to make sure that we do have a real family feel working here so it is we do care about our staff very very much so and support them um, when they need it or if they need it in any way we can fabulous what do you think is the biggest myth about women leaders I think the biggest myth about women leaders is that when you hear them say, people say um, they can't do it or it's they don't want to because they would, they're trying to juggle family and home life and they haven't got the commitment to do it because they're going to be busy and pulled in two different directions. Do you mean the women themselves are saying that or the organisations? I think organisations say it okay. as well. I, th I think women sometimes believe that because they hear it so much I think I think that's where that comes from because we're very much um you know geared to listen women <laughs> more so and and believe what's told of us and I do think some organizations do believe oh we won't get the commitment from because you won't be able to do this and that because you'll have to go into family or and and I do believe that that is quite true and I think then that filters down and women believe that themselves sometimes and do you believe that's true no is it no of course it's not true god no <laughs> i'm just checking i didn't think so <laughs> without it. no way no way i think women bring so much um you know to any role they take on you know as you've just said a woman won't do a role unless she's fully committed to do it she's fully and she will work tirelessly to make sure she does i mean we already juggle as women everything don't we you know you you juggle your family life you juggle going to the shops you juggle gluing housework you juggle so we're all used to multitasking um and you bring that with you with every role you do and i just think you know you bring as well a little bit of um, empathy and a little bit of something special to a role that sometimes can be overlooked if it's an all male environment. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't not have um, all males, but the mix works so much better. So, so much better. Well, this is a perfect time to talk about our speak up statistic. <laughs> so according to McKinsey & Co, women bring a diversity dividend as non-executive directors of companies. So gender balanced boards are more successful than monocultural boards on every measure. A couple of examples, companies with the greatest gender diversity on their executive teams are 21% more likely to outperform peers on profitability and 27% more likely to create superior value. So I think by that they mean the actual uh, capitalization of the organization. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I agree. I, I, I agree. Women bring a lot. I mean, when I um, became CEO, one of my issues, one of my tasks or that I give to myself was I had a board of trustees um, and they were all male. They were all white collar workers. They were all middle age and um, mainly financially banking business, you know, that side. Um, and don't get me wrong, they were very capable of um, governing the charity. But for me, I wanted some more. Um, personality on there I wanted I wanted more women on it I wanted some patience on there um, I wanted just more diversity on the board um, so that's what I set out to do um, to recruit you know appropriate women who would come who would be comfortable at a board level who would be comfortable voicing what they had to say um, and become part of it 
Um, and yeah, and it's uh, it's very hard to describe how different the trustee meetings are now. We've got one, two, three, we've got four ladies on there now, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And they've all got their own personality. Um, you know, all successful business ladies, you know, business women, um, but they come and they bring that, they just make the board look at things slightly different sometimes and they add their own opinion to it and they bring their own experience in. And it is just a much more, um, it's just more functional, the board. It's just more open. It's more um, welcoming. And it gets, it understands more about what the business does, what the charity is about, you know, because if you think about it, trustees of a charity really only meet once every two months. So they're not running the business every day. So in that meeting, you have to get over exactly what it is we do. And you can send out lots of information, but having a patient sitting there with you, having a, you know, another female leader, not just my voice that they're hearing. And it just, it brings that empathy and it brings that personal touch as well to these decisions that are made. So they're not just black and white. We've got to look at it as a whole, what that decision makes as a whole. And, and that's what, um, the, the female, you know, the, the, the mixed board brings, it just brings much more harmony and a bigger picture. I think it's amazing, the difference. Well, the logical stats are there. And I think we can intuitively feel that when you have a diverse board in all kinds of different ways, of course, it's going to make a difference. I think it's something that perhaps we just kind of go, well, yeah. <laughs> It kind of seems obvious to us, but it might not seem obvious to everybody. Have you ever wondered why most time management and productivity systems fail despite the huge amount of information that is out there? So why is it that so many business owners end up overworked and sometimes even burnt out? The answer is flow or rather a lack of it for too many people. I've put together a free 50-minute jam-packed training video where you'll find out how to consistently get in flow, how to increase sales, reduce stress and overwhelm, and have more fun, focus, and creativity without being worked into the ground. Now, here's some things that I'll reveal on this free video training. So, number one, what is flow? the nine elements of it and how to identify it, why it's so important to reduce stress and overwhelm and increase focus. Number two, why many well-meaning business coaches, consultants and trainers can actually handicap you from having sustainable growth. Number three, the three specific elements of flow that you need in place in your business and the simple yet profound tool that makes this easy to do. Number four, the golden rule of flow that underpins everything without which it's impossible to implement in your business. And number five, the one thing that will free up your time and increase your productivity so that you can get what's most important done. And you'll also learn the real reason behind why even those who do know how to get into a flow state often end up not mastering it. Sound good? Well, many other business owners just like you have told me how much they got from this training too. So head over to creativeflow.tv, get flow, or click the link in the episode description. So I've got a question for you. How challenging was it for you you, you, to find women that were at the level that could operate well on that board? It wasn't, it wasn't easy. I have to be honest. Um, and I, I met them a lot through networking or I'd meet somebody and I'd think, oh, and then it was convincing them <laughs> to come on it. You know, I'd go, you'd be great as a trustee of my charity. Would you be interested in it? You know, it's not, it's not too onerous, you know, but you could bring that skill set. Um, uh, so it was, it wasn't very easy because I think a lot of women naturally felt, unless they were at that level, I mean, I had two different women. So I had a lady who come on, she's um, Alison, she's amazing, but she she is a head of a legal firm. So she was very used to board and she it didn't intimidate her. I had another lady, Mandy, who works for, in the business in London, a big business in London, um, not 
you know, she's she's high up, but not at that board level. And she was going, oh, I don't know what I'll be able to say. What will I bring? And I was going, but you will bring your enthusiasm. You will bring your experience and you will bring your connections. You will make a difference. We want to hear your voice. Um, and I must admit, the first day she came, she was a little bit shy, um, but she took it on and she's she's flying now. She's amazing, you know. Um, so 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 it, it isn't easy, but I would say to women out there, who are looking to move into the next level being a non-exec director is a great way to get some experience and get that under your belt that you actually feel that you can put in on your cv i've worked as well as doing some good and using your um skill set to help somebody else you can put that on your cv is that you've worked at a board level um and it's amazing what what doors that will open for you as well so don't be afraid if somebody approaches you or to look for those roles because they're out there and they're well worth doing. I think that's great advice. And it actually sounds to me like the challenge was not finding the women, but just actually persuading them to do it. Yes. Persuading them to come and do Which it. Which yeah. says to anyone listening who is looking for non-execs, whether they're in the charity sector or in the commercial sector that, you know, look for women. They are yeah. out there. You know, who yeah. have the right kind of experience and attitudes and who can really bring value for that. And that's going to help kind of raise up us all. Yeah. And I think it's a bit like what you said at the beginning. We're not really good at pushing ourselves forward. So you're not going to be able to just find these women. You do have to look for them. So, you know, but I think women, if you're interested in those roles, then you can you can actively put your head up and say, I want I'm interested. We don't ask. We don't know. Absolutely. Don't ask. Don't guess. <laughs> That's one of my mottos. Exactly. Let <laughs> <laughs> me <Nobody> say no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and this is the thing. If they say no, you didn't have it before. You don't have it afterwards. You actually haven't lost anything no. at all. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Fantastic. So another question for you. If you could turn back time and say something to yourself, your 18 or 19 or 20 year old self, what would you tell her? I would tell myself never to be afraid um, of being myself. Never be afraid to try. The only failure is not trying and then regretting it. Sound advice. I can't <laughs> disagree with that. <laughs> I have conversations along those lines every week, in fact. <laughs> Me too, believe it or not. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> I want to go back to the first day that you had as CEO. What was it like, I, you know, when you were at home having breakfast or I don't know, did you have breakfast? Did you skip it? Were you too nervous, you know, driving into the office? How did it feel? It felt really strange in a way. Um, it was a bit like when you go to the new big school, even though I was going back to my old where I worked every day. Um, Walking through those doors, it just felt different. And I had butterflies in my stomach. I did. Um, and more so about, I mean, don't get me wrong, I was scared. Oh, you know, I, it's a lot of responsibility. I want to make sure I do it right. You know, will I be good enough? You know, all those things that we we beat ourselves up about as women. But also I was worried about what would my colleagues think? You know, did they want me to be CEO? Will they, will they? Will they still like me as CEO? Um, all those doubts and things. It was really quite strange. But the other thing I did on my first day was I moved offices because I hadn't moved office. I'd stayed in where my old desk was, right? So I moved office on the first day I went in as CEO. I physically moved into the CEO office, which I hadn't done before because um, I felt a bit of an imposter sitting in there. Um, and I have to say, and I carry this rule with me now throughout, it makes a difference. So within our organisation, you know, I'm very much about promoting within. If we've got the skill set within, let's give them a chance. And um, let's show them, you know, no, 
the only thing if you make a mistake is just learn from it and, and grow from it you know nobody's going to get beat up or thrown out and I always make people move desk even if it's only next door because it just actually puts a line under that was your old job this is the new day and your new role and it just allows you to to feel that it is different and people can respect that it's different so so yeah so it was really quite strange um very scary um going in um i mean the second and very scary actually the first smt meeting because it was me chairing it even though i chaired it before i chaired it as paula director of hr now i was chairing it as paula as ceo um and i and i did um you know worry and i did say to people look i'm 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 still me please look at me as still me i don't know all the answers um but i'll do my best to work my way through things um and did you know right at the beginning say i wanted it to be a team effort i needed all them to help us to succeed so yeah it was it was quite interesting i must admit um and as i said i was just a bit i was their colleague and then everybody was looking to me for the answers and i was a bit like ah, I haven't gone to sleep and woke up with magic beans or something and know all the answers. I'm still me, you know. But <laughs> I think I think people who've who've done that within a within the same organization, it is difficult to make that transition. Whereas if you leave and move somewhere else, you're not taking your history with you, are you? There people knew who I was. And in a way that's nice, if, you know, because people still treated me the same. Some people, some people didn't, but yeah, but it is to it's an interesting um, scenario, I think, to go through anybody who's done it. But I was very proud to do it. Well, you've clearly done a really good job. I mean, you're <laughs> now up to what you've got a team of over 100 people now. Yes. Tell us a bit more about what the charity does. Okay, so we are um, a lung cancer charity, as I've said. And, you know, we are very passionate about you know, lung cancer is the biggest cancer killer of both men and women. So every year, 45,000 people are diagnosed and sadly 36,000 of those die. And the sad, that isn't even the tragedy. The tragedy is that if we can detect it early enough, there are curative treatments available. The problem is that we have, it's diagnosed way, way, way too late um, when treatment options are very limited. So we're passionate about finding, so we fund research into the early detection we also provide patient information, support and help to ensure that they know all the new drugs that are coming available. They know any of the new trials that are happening. Um, we campaign as well to make sure that um, lung cancer patients are not left. I mean, not only do they have this horrible disease, but they have to live with the stigma that's attached with the disease. In you know, the first thing that people say to patients normally is, oh, did you smoke? difference does that make doesn't make a difference lung cancer and this is one of the things i think that is really really important that everybody understands lung cancer does not discriminate if you have lungs you can get lung cancer whether you're a smoker ex-smoker or non-smoker 28 percent of the people who are diagnosed every year have no smoking history and again that is the tragedy that we see young women coming through particularly young women who are misdiagnosed because they're young, because they're fit, because they're a non-smoker, that they don't even think it's lung cancer. And then by the time they've diagnosed it, it's stage four, and we just have to stop that happening. So that's my mission anyway. <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do to encourage people to, <laughs> to check that out. I've just got um, a few more questions um, just to kind of get to understand you a bit better and your life. So I'm curious as to whether, do you have a hobby or is there a hobby that you would like to have? <laughs> I always thought I should have a hobby. I haven't really got what I would say a hobby. I've tried different activities, but um, I've never really found something that I think, ooh. I mean, I love to read. I, I do like reading. So if I get a quiet minute, I do like to to chill and read. Um, but no, I haven't really got a big hobby. I mean... Whenever I have free time, I'm normally doing something for the charity. I'm normally fundraising or doing something or whatever. I'm very hands-on and I like to get involved. I like to know 
you know, new events or what we're doing. Um, so no, I haven't really got a hobby. I, I thought I'd like running, but I can't run. I, I just can't. <laughs> so I just, I just got an image in my head of, you know, Phoebe from Friends running down the street. That's me. That's me. I'm just like, uh, it's just like, honestly, people were going, oh yeah, anybody can run. But now even though, no, Paula, you can't run. I'm just like, uh, I can't. I always think it looks so like relaxing you know, when you people see people and think, oh, God, that must be amazing. But it's just not, not for me, no. So, if anybody's got any ideas of uh, hobbies for me, I'd be very interested. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a runner, though. I just I like walking, which is interesting. As a kid, yeah. I complained every time we had to walk somewhere. Because I like going out for walks now. And so, yeah, so, so that's fun. But running is like, I feel like I'm, my body isn't built for running. Mine isn't either. I feel like everything's shaking and oh, it's not good, not good. <laughs> I have to be strapped down, you know, to, to not give myself a black eye. <laughs> Plus, it's harder to hold a conversation. And typically when I'm out walking, sometimes I will go and just have that meditative let my thoughts pass through my head but most of the time I'm either on a phone call with yeah. my husband or a friend when we're not social distancing yeah. <laughs> um or I like I'm on a call or listening to a podcast <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you can't do that and run now <laughs> no as suppose you could listen to things but yeah mm. not not having the conversations I'd be too out of breath <laughs> <laughs> Oh so Paula, what's the biggest surprise that you've had in the last few months? Um, I think the biggest surprise that I've had, and it's a, this is a good one, is um, when we come into lockdown, um, really, really um, worried about what was going to happen, as I'm sure everybody is. Um, but, you know, it's our 30th anniversary for the charity. So we had lots and lots of celebration events planned and clearly we couldn't do that clearly no fundraising activity happening um but you know what i've been so so um humbled by the support and the rallying round of all our supporters and our ambassadors they have been absolutely amazing and staff as well and um, in being creative and doing things virtual you know we've got virtual runs talking about yeah you could do a virtual run you know <laughs> as, as long as i can do it at a so yeah, so being really creative in how we can, how they can support us and help us. And, um, you know, as we head out of the pandemic, we're in a, a much stronger position than I could even have hoped for. Um, you know, all our staff, we're bringing them all back from furlough, um, which is amazing. And so pleased and so happy that, that that is. So that has been the surprise, although I suppose I shouldn't really be surprised, but yeah how our supporters have rallied around us and um, i mean they are the lifeblood of the charity and um, we can't thank them enough but yeah absolutely amazing that's wonderful paula tell people where they can find out more about you and about the um lung cancer foundation as well Right, so if you go to our website, www.roycastle.org, you'll find all the information there about whether you want information about lung cancer, whether you want to, how you can help and get involved with us, everything on there, um, really, really informative. Um, and me, I am on there as well, but you can also find me, I've just updated my LinkedIn profile, so you can go and have a look at that and tell me what you think. <laughs> Fantastic. Paula, it's been wonderful talking to you today. Before we wrap up, what would be your advice to a female leader who's listening to this right now and wondering how to get ahead, whether that's in their own business or whether that's in an organization as an employee? What would be your advice? OK, my advice would be firstly, make sure it's the right organization that you want to be in um, and that they are right for you in that they are you know, open and understand what your skill set is. I think if you're trying to beat against a shut door, then they're not worthy of you and find somebody else who is because there's companies out there who are. Um, I think be brave um, stand up and say what you want. Get it clear in your head first what you want. What is it you want? Where do you want to go? Then find yourself a really good sponsor or mentor 
who will help you get there and you will get there just be determined to get there and you will but speak up use your voice nobody is going to come and give you that on a plate you need to raise your head up and say hey here i am i can do that and i want to do that and go for it fantastic and of course there's also the practical step of applying and putting your head putting yourself out there to be a non-exec director as well yeah exactly you can do that and i think for any women leaders out there as well my other thing would be ensure you get a really good coach invest in a good coach there you go you know (laughs) there's a plug for you (laughs) they do help you make sense of the chaos that's always running around your head and give you a plan so many people have said to me that when they're in those like whether they're running a business whether they're running an organization in a leadership role it can be lonely at the top yeah well it is because who do you you know you everybody comes and confides to you and it's fine but who do you confide to because clearly you can't sit down with your team and say oh i'm crying i don't know what's happening you need to be able Again, it's all these ideas and everything that's going around. I journal a lot to just get thoughts out of my head. Um, But a coach, even if you only get sessions once a year, twice a year, a coach just helps you make sense of that chaos, takes it out of your head, puts it on paper and gives you a plan. Doesn't solve your your answers, doesn't give you the answers, but it will put you on the path that you already know the answers, but you just need to make sense of them. It's the best investment you're ever gonna do, honestly. Wonderful. Paula, it's been a wonderful experience chatting to you here today. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your vulnerabilities. Um, I know that isn't always easy for everybody to do, but like we were talking about with the vulnerability based trust, it makes a difference. So, you know, I thank you. My listeners, thank you. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And that's all for today, folks. Make sure that you subscribe to get more of this juicy goodness for your business and check the description for links mentioned in this episode. Enjoyed this free broadcast? I want you to know that I go so much deeper into the topics discussed so you too can grow a fun to run, highly profitable business that increases your impact and your creative flow. If you'd like to know more about that, let's arrange to hop on a call. You can set that up at creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una. That's creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una.